Hello and welcome again to our Last Day Events Explained series. This is episode number eight. My name is Norman McNulty and I'm so glad that you have joined us again for this series. If you've missed any of the previous presentations, I encourage you to go back and watch those, which goes through the sequence of Last Day Events. And today we are on part number eight. And the title for the presentation today is Jacob's Time of Trouble. Before we get into the presentation, we are going to go through a series of questions, or a few questions. And again, if you have questions, you can send them to this email address, contact at audioverse.org. A number of excellent questions have come in. One person wanted me to explain a little bit further my thoughts on the King of the North and the King of the South. In Daniel chapter 11, um, I believe, and I think you're probably referring to what is described at the end of Daniel 11, because in the beginning of Daniel 11, the king of the north is the territory in the northern division of Greece after the fall of Alexander the Great, after his death, and then the four generals are divided, dividing the territory. Eventually, though, um, we see the same sequence of kingdoms where pagan Rome becomes king of the north, then the papacy becomes the king of the north, and I believe the papacy is the end-time power that is the king of the north. And then the king of the south was Egypt in the beginning of the prophecy of Daniel 11. Spiritual Egypt at the end fits perfect with the French Revolution. Ellen White says spiritually it represents Sodom and Egypt, which fits, or she's applying Revelation 11.8 to the French Revolution, and so that fits perfectly with the French Revolution, and then France giving the deadly wound in Daniel 11, verse 40. And so we see the papacy as the king of the north in Daniel 11, verse 40. We see atheistic France as the king of the south in verse 40. And if you see what's happening right now, it's actually a really good fit. You have the Christian world, apostate Christianity, versus atheism and secularism and there's this final struggle taking place even now where the secularists are trying to reassert themselves in this world and so we see what's happening in the world we can see the king of the south hasn't died its final death yet some have applied the king of the south to literal egypt others have applied it to islam i don't see the end of daniel 11 as a middle east regional conflict there was another um, good question that came in. There's a statement from Ellen White where she says that all should study and understand Daniel chapter 12 because it relates to what's happening um, at the end here. And um, let me see if I can pull up that actual um, statement here. And um, it's from a manuscript that she wrote uh, many years ago. And um, I don't think I'm going to... Yeah, she said, Let us read and study the 12th of Daniel. It is a, a warning that we shall all need to understand before the time of the end. That's manuscript release, volume 15, page 228. 
And so the question was, well, what part do we need to understand? And what I believe is that it's the first four verses of Daniel 12, especially where it talks about Michael standing up, God's people being delivered, everyone's name being found written in the book. There are some who try to reinterpret the end of Daniel 12 with the 1260, the 1290, and the 1335 and make those into literal prophecies of 1260 literal days, 1290 literal days, 1335 literal days. The LMY has made it very clear that there's no time prophecy between 1844 and the second coming. So the part of Daniel 12 that we need to understand, especially for the time of the end, is the part where Michael stands up when probation closes and God's people will be delivered. However, the rest of Daniel 12 is important because you have the prophecy about God's people being scattered for the 1260 years, and you see that in Daniel 12 verses 7 and 8 and so forth, and how they will begin to be gathered once the time of the end begins in 1798. And we are the people that are being gathered for the great final crisis. And so there's a lot to, to understand and to unpack there. There's a lot of other great questions that came in, and remember... I am going to have a special session at the end to address as many questions as possible. So if your question hasn't been answered yet, I do plan to get, in, to, get to as many as possible. I'm not ignoring the other questions. It's just that there's a lot to, to unpack. One other thing that I want to mention, and this was actually feedback that came in as well. I've mentioned my book on Daniel that you can get from Remnant Publications, and I was reminded from one of the listeners that you can also get this book from Amazon as a Kindle version. So if you like an e-version where you can just download the book onto your Kindle, onto your phone, I have it on my iPhone on a Kindle version as well, and as along with many other books. Um, if you like getting books that way, um, you can purchase the book, and it's a little bit cheaper even, from Amazon. So I just want to let you know about that. Okay, so before we get into the presentation for today, I am going to offer a word of prayer, and we are going to ask the Lord to be with us as we go through our presentation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for how you've been guiding us through this series of presentations on last day events. We thank you for the more sure word of prophecy that we can follow. And today, Lord, as we go through the topic of Jacob's time of trouble, I pray that the message would be clear, that I would speak clearly, and that everyone who listens would have an understanding heart, and that you would bring encouragement and conviction where it is needed, and that we would be found faithful. And so be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to go through Jacob's time of trouble. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, I, I have noticed through the years that when we talk about last-day events, especially when we get to the topic of the time of trouble, there's the little time of trouble, which we've talked about already, and then there's Jacob's time of trouble. This is the section of last-day events that many of us get a bit uncomfortable with because when we read what the Bible says, when we read what the Spirit of Prophecy says about these periods of time that we will go through as God's people, it's certainly not a walk in the park. It's going to be a very challenging time. And because of that, I feel personally that we as a people have had a tendency to shy away from talking about end-time events and perhaps even there's been this 
undercurrent within the church, at least in some sectors, where there's almost a hope that last day events aren't right at the door because we're afraid of the time of trouble. And what I want to say at the outset is that God is going to deliver his people. And if you're on the Lord's side, you will be delivered. Now, that's going to be the topic of our next presentation, the deliverance of God's people. And so I just want to encourage you that as we go through this presentation, don't become faint of heart, but take this as a challenge and as a promise that God will see us through this time. You know, one other question that did come in was there was a question, how many presentations are there going to be? And I failed to mention that during the question time. There's going to be 10 presentations. This is presentation number eight um, on Jacob's time of trouble. Then presentation nine will be on God's people delivered. And presentation 10 will be on the second coming. And then we will have a special session on questions and answers. So let's, let's get into this message on Jacob's time of trouble. And we're going to start in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 which gives us a pretty clear picture of the sequence of events where Michael stands up at the beginning, and that's the close of probation, and then we see the time of trouble, which is Jacob's time of trouble. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And at that time, this is the time when the king of the north plants the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. So this is the death decree. God's people are under siege from the whole world. It seems as if they're going to be wiped off the face of the map. So so the Bible says, At that time shall Michael stand up, that's the close of probation, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So just remember, Michael, who is Christ, who is God, is standing for us. And it says, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So today we're specifically looking at, and there shall be a time of trouble. Next week we're going to look at, at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So Michael stands up, and then there is a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. So this is a time of trouble described at the end of the world, the likes of which has never been seen. And that's, of course, what gets us as God's people a little bit nervous. We're like, wow, there's never been a time of trouble like this ever before. And then some people say, but what about the time of trouble or tribulation that Christ talks about in Matthew chapter 24? And how does that compare to this time of trouble in Daniel 12? Verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. Now, Jesus, in the preceding verses, he's talked about the abomination of desolation. He talks about fleeing um, those who are in Judea, fleeing into the mountains. And so the, the initial application or the interpretation of that passage was the destruction of Jerusalem and a fleeing from Judea. And so then Jesus says, after that, and he says in verse 20, pray that your flight not be on the winter or on the Sabbath day. And then he says, then there shall be great tribulation. This is verse 21. So after the period of time when Jerusalem is destroyed, there's going to be a period of time after that where it says, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the 
alexaic, those days should be short. Now, you may remember from our presentation on part number two on the abomination of desolation, we saw that the abomination of desolation is also likened to Jerusalem being compassed or surrounded by the, the, the Roman army. And then later on down in Luke 21, 24, it talks about the times of the Gentiles where Jerusalem is trodden underfoot. And then you go to Revelation chapter 11, and you see that the times of the Gentiles, the holy city, is trodden underfoot for 1,260 years. What's my point? My point is this. The period of tribulation in Matthew 24 is the period of time where Jerusalem, which be becomes symbolic of God's people during the Dark Ages, is trodden underfoot for 1,260 years. And so Jesus says there will be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be short and there should no flesh be saved. There's a difference in the period of tribulation described in Matthew 24 versus Daniel chapter 12, and that is this. Matthew 24 is describing the period of the 1260 years, and it's a tribulation like no other because of its length or duration. Now, the time of trouble described in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, there's none like it that has ever been because of its intensity. It's not going to last for 1260 years, and it's not going to last even for 1260 literal days. We don't put a time period to the time of trouble. But what we can say for the time of trouble, Jacob's time of trouble, which is being described in Daniel 12, verse 1, is that there will be no trouble the likes of it that the world has ever seen based on its intensity. And we're going to look now at some further descriptions of it, and we're going to see why. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 through 7. Notice how Jacob's time of trouble is described here. It says, For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, this is verse 6, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, I like that end promise. Again, we get all scared and worried, but the end promise is he shall be saved out of it. But here's how bad it gets. And this is why we say there's nothing like it that the world has ever seen. The Bible describes Jacob's time of trouble as if men are in labor and about to give birth. Now, I've had the privilege of being with my wife, Joelle, as she's given birth to our four beautiful daughters, and I can tell you that women are equipped in a very special way to handle childbirth in a way that we as men are not. We're not physiologically and biologically and anatomically equipped to go through labor pains. But the Bible says that Jacob's time of trouble is so bad that it's as if men are in labor. In other words, it's an intense period of trouble that nobody has ever experienced, no matter how bad your tribulation has been, no matter how bad trouble may have been that you have gone through. There is nobody alive that, they, that can say that they've been through what Jacob's time of trouble is going to be like. And certainly there is no man alive who can say that they've been through the entire experience 
of giving birth to a child. We don't know what it's like. And that's what Jacob's time of trouble is going to be. That's how bad it will be. All faces are pale. But again, the promise is he shall be saved out of it. Now, let's talk about this a little bit just to remind ourselves where we are on the prophetic timeline as we go through last day events. We see that during the time of Jacob's trouble, the plagues are being poured out. I'm going to share some statements with you to show where we are in that sequence. So remember, probation closes, Michael stands up, and then we enter into this time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. This is Jacob's time of trouble. So during Jacob's time of trouble, God's people, we as God's people, will be suffering intense mental anguish. Now just to remind you though, in case you think it's going to be bad to go through Jacob's time of trouble, just remember that during Jacob's time of trouble, the wicked are also suffering with the seven last plagues. So you think you have it bad, just remember they are going to be suffering as well. And so the short-term gain, some of who have professed to follow God, who end up perceiving the mark of the beast and who end up perceiving the outpouring of the plagues, they thought, oh, if I get the mark of the beast, I'll still be able to buy and sell, and I won't receive a death decree. But then they start getting the seven last plagues. Now, we'll be going through the mental anguish of Jacob's time of trouble, but they will be going through the agony of knowing that they're lost and, the, and also uh, of receiving the seven last plagues. So keep that in mind. Now let's, let's look at some statements here. This is from Spalding and McGann Collection, page 2. This is a very interesting statement. This is what Ellen White says, Then I saw that Jesus' work in the sanctuary will soon be finished. And after his work there is finished, he will come to the door of the first apartment and confess the sins of Israel upon the head of the scapegoat. So now clearly, when Christ's work finishes in the sanctuary, that's the close of probation. That's very clear. So he comes out of the most holy place, then he comes to the door of the first apartment and he confesses the sins of Israel upon the head of the scapegoat. That means that God's people's sins have been blotted out. That means the final atonement has been made. Now let's keep reading. Then he will put on the garments of vengeance. Then the plagues will come upon the wicked. So notice this, the plagues come after probation closes. So then the plagues will come upon the wicked, and they do not come till Jesus puts on that garment and takes his place upon the great white cloud. And then the quote continues. Then while the plagues are falling, the scapegoat is being led away. Now this is during Jacob's time of trouble. So let's keep reading. He makes a mighty struggle to escape, but he is held fast by the hand that leads him. Now remember, it was the fit man that would lead the scapegoat into the land of forgetfulness in the Old Testament service. So here you have the spiritual or symbolic fit man. I believe this is the 144,000 leading Satan away while the plagues are falling. Now the 144,000, they are going to be going through Jacob's time of trouble here. And the way they are holding fast to Satan, the scapegoat here, is that they are remaining true to God during this intense mental anguish. It says, if he should effect his escape, Israel would lose their lives. I saw that it would take time to lead away the scapegoat into the land of forgetfulness after the sins were put on his head. So it's not as if the seven last plagues are going to happen in a moment. And, you know, some people t have a double take when they say if Satan would escape, Israel would lose their lives. God's not going to allow the 144,000, to go through this final time of trouble 
until he has a people who are ready to lead Satan away. And presumably that's why this time hasn't happened yet, because he needs a mature group of people who will lead Satan away during this time, because Satan is claiming that he will get Israel to fall during this time. Now, here's another statement looking at this timeline of events while the plagues are falling and when probation closes. This is Great Controversy, page 613, paragraph 2. When the third angel's message closes, mercy no longer pleads for the guilty inhabitants of the earth. The people of God have accomplished their work. They have received the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and they are prepared for the trying hour before them. Angels are hastening to and fro in heaven. An angel returning from the earth announces that his work is done. The final test has been brought upon the world, and all who have proved themselves loyal to the divine precepts have received the seal of the living God. So here we see probation is closed, and then the quote continues. Then Jesus ceases his intercession on the sanctuary above. That's the close of probation. He lifts his hands and with a loud voice says, It is done. Now that's interesting. Revelation sixteen seventeen is the seventh plague of the seven last plagues. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit further. And now let's keep reading. And all the angelic hosts lay off their crowns as he makes the solemn announcement. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Every case has been decided for life or death. Christ has made the atonement for his people and blotted out their sins. And just as an aside, you can see that the atonement was not finished at the cross. Christ made an atonement by his sacrifice on the cross, but the final atonement takes place from the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary where the blotting out of the sins of God's people takes place. And so when the blotting out of the sins of God's people takes place, the final atonement has been made, every case has been decided for life or death, probation closes, and now the plagues begin to fall. Now, some have become have been a little bit confused and think that probation doesn't close until the sixth or the seventh plague, but I'm going to show you another statement um, that makes it clear that the, the plagues begin to fall. The first plague falls when probation has closed. And so Jesus is about to finish his work. Now let's notice this statement in Great Controversy, page 627. And this will give us some clarity about when the plagues begin to fall, the first plagues even with respect to the close of probation and Jacob's time of trouble. This is Great Controversy, page 627. And um, notice what it says. When Christ ceases his intercession in the sanctuary, the unmingled wrath threatened against those who worship the beast in his image and receive his mark will be poured out. Now, that warning comes from the third angel's message. Revelation 14, 9 and 10, that's the third angel's message, a message we are to proclaim with a loud voice. So when probation closes, the unmingled wrath of God will begin to be poured out. And then she goes on to say, the plagues upon Egypt when God was about to deliver Israel were similar in character to those more terrible and extensive judgments which are to fall upon the world just before the final deliverance of God's people, says the revelator in describing those terrific scourges. And now she's quoting Revelation 16, starting in verse Two, partway through verse 2, she says, There fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So that's the first plague. So 
Christ ceases his intercession in the sanctuary. That's the close of probation. Those who have rejected the warning of the third angel's message will begin to receive the plagues, including the first plague. So probation has already closed when the first plague begins to be poured out. Now, I didn't have time to put all the statements Ellen White says on the plagues. You can read this in the section on the time of trouble. But Ellen White says that the plagues are not universal or the entire earth would be destroyed. But So you will see these plagues um, hit different parts of the earth at different times. So the first plague will hit with the grievous sore, and then you'll see the second plague with the sea becoming like blood, and the third plague where rivers become water, and the fourth um, plague where there's scorching heat, and the fifth angel there's terrible darkness, and then when we get to the sixth plague, the great river Euphrates dries up, which is the river Euphrates is the rivers represents people, and that's the source. Your river Euphrates was that which supplied the ancient city of Babylon. So the people represent um, the source of life for Babylon, all those who have received the mark of the beast. And so in the sixth plague, you get this final push from the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, where you have these three unclean spirits like frogs. And this leads to the battle of Armageddon, which leads to the final struggle in Jacob's time of trouble, where... Um, the wicked and the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, where you have spiritualism, apostate, Protestantism, and the papacy unite in one last great struggle to try to convince the world that God is actually still on their side despite the fact that God's judgments are being poured upon them, that they have been receiving the plagues. And, you know, when the river Euphrates starts to dry up, that means that the people who have been receiving the plagues are starting to say, hey, I think we're on the wrong side. We're receiving plagues. Why are we receiving plagues? We thought we were on God's side. And so then there's this last push with these supernatural manifestations that will take place. And Ellen White actually goes on to say that Satan will personate Christ during this time. Now, let's look at this. Revelation 16, 13 through 16 describes the spiritual struggle between the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet um, and God's people. So the dragon represents spiritualism, the beast is the papacy, the false prophet is apostate Protestantism, and there's this death decree that has gone out against God's people, and probation has closed and God's people are going through Jacob's time of trouble. Now, the Battle of Armageddon is not a battle in the Middle East. And this is what dispensationalists teach, as we as Seventh-day Adventists understand, that this is a spiritual battle where God's people will, going, will be going through intense mental anguish. And then you have the Battle of Gog and Magog, which takes place at the end of the thousand years where the entire wicked are resurrected and then fire comes down from heaven and destroys the wicked. That's the battle of Gog and Magog. But the battle of Armageddon is the spiritual battle where God's people go through Jacob's time of trouble while they're facing this death decree and they have intense mental anguish. And that especially becomes an issue by the sixth plague so probation has already closed before the first plague, and as the plagues continue to fall, and there's this death decree that has gone forth, by the time you get to the sixth plague, the wicked are going to be blaming these judgments on the righteous, and the death decree will be, a date will be set for it, 
and God's people will be in significant in a significant difficult place. And then when you get to the seventh plague, you'll see um, great hell. Um, in, in the seventh plague, there's a voice that comes from heaven saying, "It is done." And then you have hail that weighs about a talent, which is like nearly 60 kilograms or nearly 130 pounds that falls from heaven. That's going to be an awful plague that will fall on the wicked. And during this time, God's people will have been going through Jacob's time of trouble. Next week, we're going to talk about the deliverance of God's people. But let's look at this spiritual struggle and the preparation we need to be making as God's people. Notice the statement from Great Controversy, page 620. And this is why we call this Jacob's time of trouble and how it relates to us. Remember, Jacob is thinking that Esau is coming to destroy him, just as we're going to be facing a death decree. And he wrestles with the angel all night, not realizing that it's Christ. Notice what Ellen White says. Had not Jacob previously repented of his sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud, God would not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. So in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut off their faith, and they could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, they have no concealed wrongs to reveal. Their sins have gone beforehand to judgment and have been blotted out, and they cannot bring them to remembrance. Now, this is an important point. Now is the time to be confessing our sins. Now is the time to be sending our sins ahead to judgment. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sins that need to be confessed. Um, if those sins are unconfessed when the time of trouble comes, we will be overwhelmed by them because we will know that they are unconfessed. We will know that we didn't forgive someone who hurt us very badly. We will know that um, we still have spite in our hearts towards uh, someone at church or someone in our family. Or we'll know that we never kicked that addiction that God promised he could give us the victory over. And that we never sought for repentance and, and victory. And so those are all things that the Lord is wanting to give us victory now. And I think one of the reasons why we're afraid of the time of trouble as well is because of these unconfessed sins in our lives. And the Lord in his great mercy, especially as this pandemic is continuing to play out, and we've had time during this pandemic to, to make sure that our hearts are right with the Lord. Um, now is the time to make sure that our hearts are right with God. He, he's given us time. He's showing us mercy. So let's make sure that our sins are confessed and that we will have no concealed wrongs to reveal. And God will abundantly pardon us. He's guaranteed us that. Now, this is another famous statement, and it's certainly worth mentioning here. Great Controversy, page 621. The season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried, the period of probation is granted to all to prepare for that time. Jacob prevailed because he was persevering and determined. His victory is an evidence of the power of importunate prayer. All who will lay hold of God's promises as he did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. Isn't that an amazing promise? All of us who lay hold of God's promises as Jacob did and be as earnest and persevering as he was will succeed as he succeeded. But we need to remember that the season of distress before us will require a faith 
that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, a faith that will not faint, though severely tried. And you know, when we're tired, hungry, and things are running late, that is when our faith is especially tested. I know for me, if I haven't had enough rest, if I'm hungry, if in my practice at work, the schedule's not going the way I want it to go, and patients are running late, my patience, no pun intended, runs thin in my own human strength. And that's where I need God's grace to have a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. And that's true for all of us. That's the experience common to all of humanity. And so God is giving us this probationary time, this pandemic that we're going through, is allowing us to develop a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger, which certainly could be a feature in various ways during this time. Now, let's look at some more. You know, Jacob wrestled all night with the angel. You know, Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets in the chapter on Jacob's wrestling with the angel that not only did Satan remind Jacob of his sin, but she said that the angel, who is Christ, in order to try Jacob's faith, also reminded him of his sin. And so our faith will be severely tested, and we have reason to believe that as Jacob was reminded of his sin by Christ, that will be the case with us, but we will remember, as Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, that Jacob remembered that God is a merciful God and that he is a forgiving God. And we will remember that God is merciful to us, so that he has shown mercy to us throughout our lives, and we will lay hold of those promises by faith, and we will believe that he's not come to destroy us, but he has come to save us. Now, notice the statement from Great Controversy 622. The time of trouble such as never was is soon to open before us, and we shall need an experience which we do not now possess, and which many are too indolent or lazy to obtain. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality, but this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. In that time of trouble, every, in that time of trial, every soul must stand for himself before God. So Ellen White's saying, many of us are too lazy to obtain the experience that we really need and we don't possess at the present time. We just think that we'll somehow go into that time of trouble and pass through it like it's nothing. But it's not going to be as easy as we think. And even though we realize it's going to be difficult, even then it's going to be worse than words can portray. Again, Scripture says we shall be saved out of it, but we must be ready to stand for ourselves before God. And so I just want to challenge you, stop being lazy. Stop sleeping in. Spend time with the Lord and wrestle with Him in prayer about the areas in your life that need to be surrendered, the areas in your life that need further growth. Ask the Lord to lead you to passages of Scripture and passages in the spirit of prophecy that will teach you about who you are so that God can speak to you directly to help you to grow to be the person that you need to be to stand during that time. Stop being lazy. Stop being indolent. Turn off the TV. Turn off the Internet. Put down your devices and spend time with the Lord. That's what we need to be doing during this time. Now, I've read the statement earlier in this series, but it's so important. I'm going to read it again. This is our last 
statement um, for our, in our presentation this evening. Great Controversy 623. Now while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation. Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declared of himself, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments, and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. And you're saying, well, that's the way Jesus is. But notice what she says. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. Listen, this is the condition we need to be found. Not even by a thought will we be brought to yield to the power of temptation. We will be found perfect in Christ. We will not yield in any point to temptation because Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith. And so many of us have been too lazy or indolent to obtain that experience where not even by a thought would we yield to temptation. But Christ is developing a people, and I'm telling you, friends, with what I see happening in the world around us, it tells me that we could be living at the very precipice of eternity where the angels are beginning to allow the four winds to blow, the things that we've always said would happen from a prophetic standpoint are starting to take place. And that tells me that God's people are, are closer to being sealed than ever before. And that means that God is raising up a people who not even, even by a thought would yield a temptation, that they are learning to be like Christ each and every day. And while some of us may be lazy or indolent to obtain the experience that we need to possess, but that we do not now possess, there are many others who are using the time that the Lord has given us during this pandemic to say, you know what, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of just going through the motions and making it look like I'm a Christian. I go to church every week and I pay tithe and I say the right things in Sabbath school and wear the right clothes and eat the right food. But we know in our hearts... We don't have that connection with the Lord, but there are lots of people, I believe, during this time that are allowing the Holy Spirit to change their hearts. And I just want to give a little testimony. You know, I know the devil is unhappy with me giving these presentations. You know, I'm recording this presentation on a Tuesday evening of this week. I usually do it on Sunday or Monday. And... It just so happened that Sunday was my birthday this week, and so I was out with the family. So I was going to record it Monday evening, which was last night. Well, wouldn't you know it, last night, right around the time that I was going to get ready to prepare to, to record the presentation, a lightning strike hit a telephone pole in my driveway and knocked our power out, and it knocked our internet out. And so I was unable to record the presentation last night. And I know that the devil is trying to do whatever he can to discourage me, to slow me down, and to try to keep me from presenting these things, and to do whatever he can to get in my way. And I know many of you are facing significant trials or setbacks or discouragements, whatever it may be. Listen, friends, don't allow anything to to let you be discouraged. Learn to be like Jacob and to lay hold 
hold on Christ with faith and to say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's the experience we can have. And when we learn through the trials that we go through now to to be ready for this final crisis and to, to grow and to be strengthened by each trial that comes, the Lord is going to begin to start sealing us. I believe that he is ready to find a people that he can place his seal upon. And rather than secretly hoping that this pandemic will go away so that we can go back to Laodicean normality, no, let's be praying that this will be it and that we can share this message to the world around us. And let's be praying that we will receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can have the latter rain and that we can give the loud cry and so we can get off this planet and we can be in heaven very soon. That's my prayer, and I hope that's your prayer too. Next week, we are going to go through the topic of God's people delivered. Yes, we will go through Jacob's time of trouble, but the good news is at the end of Jacob's time of trouble, there will be a powerful deliverance that God will give to his people, and then Jesus will come. And so that's what we want to experience. So why don't we have a word of prayer as we bring this presentation to a close. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you've been with us this evening through this presentation and I pray that you would strengthen us for the crisis that lies ahead. If we've been lazy in obtaining the experience that we need, I pray that you would strengthen us to, to spend the time with you, to draw close to you, and to gain the character and the experience that we need to stand through the time of trouble. Help us to have faith and perseverance the way Jacob did, and may we by faith be victorious. May our names be changed symbolically from Jacob to Israel. May we be the overcomers and be found faithfully with you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and we will see you next week. God bless. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.